You are listening to Redefining Row, a CSU Global-sponsored podcast dedicated to celebrating, bringing awareness to, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. All right. Hi, Kirk Banghart here from the Colorado Rural Education Collaborative, and I'm here with Michelle Murphy with the Colorado Rural Alliance. We are super excited to have one of my favorite people and colleagues with us today, Lisa Escarzuga, the current uh, executive director of CASE, the Colorado Association of School Executives. Sadly, Lisa will be retiring at the end of this year, um, and excitingly, she is running for the State Board of Education. So we are so glad that you're here, Lisa. Great. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your career. It's sort of, I find phenomenally interesting, sort of how you got to where you are. So just tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So this will be finishing up 36 years in education for me. I started as a school psychologist um, in Michigan, worked there, um, involved in unions at that time, because Michigan, Ohio, you know, heavily union. Did that for a while, moved out here to Colorado. You know, it's what you do when you're from Michigan, you move (laughs) and you don't go back. (laughs) So I did some private practice work, some consulting, and then decided to go back and get my doctorate in quantitative research methods. My, I don't even know what that means. It means, so think about, well, Hattie's work, right? That's mm-hmm. what he does. It's it's research and it's research methods and it's statistics behind it and how you develop uh, a model of how you evaluate a program. Okay. So my specialty was in program evaluation. And really my focus was on EL, second language programs, was my area of interest at the time. So I did that. I went to work for Boulder. They were Mm. just coming out of a court order and needed an evaluation done of their EL programs. So I wrote that, did that for a couple years, and then got recruited to go into Aurora. Uh, Worked as a director of assessment and research there about five years, and then became the chief accountability and research officer. They offered that position, and they offered me a department. And it was really, it was all about accountability at that point. And that included, you know, charter schools, innovation Mm -hmm. schools, because they felt that that was only about accountability. It was all assessment. It was surveys. We developed teacher survey, parent survey, students, that kind of stuff, and research. And, And did that for a decade, really, through three superintendents, huge, probably five different boards and really enjoyed that work. And then came to Case as the executive director of my last four years. So that's really been kind of the evolution. And uh, Lisa and I worked together a great deal. She's she's made that role uh, really a, a largely advocacy component and brings to the table such as you just heard this breadth of experience. We like to say she's the brains and I'm the brawn, right? <laughs> In terms of um, sort of advancing K-12 initiatives at the Capitol. Yeah. So you've been such a great advocate for rural as your role mm-hmm. in in case. And so can you talk to us about some of the things that you've learned as rural of, of coming from? I know your original background was rural part of Michigan, <laughs> but then here it's been more front range. What have you learned about Colorado in the rural context with your with your work with the case? Right. So. You, you are right. I actually grew up in Detroit, in the Detroit area. And you guys know my background, right? I was a foster kid and we moved around a lot yeah. and stuff. Yep. But my mom remarried and was actually able to pull us back together. And we moved to the small rural town of about 1200 in northern Michigan. But it's more of a like, I don't know if you call it a resort rural or farming rural. It was fruit farming. So that that experience definitely 
you know, gave me that kind of precursor to what rural looks like. I graduated class of 17, all that. Now, coming out to Colorado and having gone pretty much across the state, I think what I'm most struck by is the diversity in the rural districts. They really are not the same. Even you can call them rural, you can call them small rural. But each one is just so different depending upon where they're sitting, who they're serving, um, the economy that you're in. It is just so different. And so what I'm really struck by is when we talk about, well, this is good for rural or we want this for rural. It doesn't necessarily apply to all rural. You really have to dig in. Uh, and I think that's probably my most surprising. I assume that it was all ranching and everybody was just kind of the same. And um, it, that's just not the case at all. It's just so different. So how do you see that playing out in the advocacy arena, you know, especially with your experience in Aurora and Boulder, two of our bigger districts, mm -hmm. right, at least comparatively? It is. Um, what are the sort of the biggest challenges that you see our rural districts facing? Well, on a policy framework in that level, it's the one size fits all. When you've got right. legislators up there trying to decide, here's what we want to do for 178 districts. And you just, as soon as you start to dig in, it starts to fall apart. The theory of action that they're trying to use just isn't going to work. Probably the biggest challenge. Um, from a, and what was the rest of your question? I love this. Yeah. I so keep going. The, <laughs> <laughs> My mind goes 10 different well, ways. Well, keep going because we yeah. are not linear in these conversations That's at very good. all. Really, very so good. I'm talking about the challenges yeah. that we see in the advocacy front. Um, I think, I think I was going to go like into like, what do I see are just the biggest challenges? Because yeah, I do. What's interesting to me is, some of the challenges that the rural see, it's like you'll see that in urban areas and you'll see that in urban districts. Like I remember the first time I had a large district say, I can't find a second grade teacher. Right. And it's like, oh, excuse me. Thanks for catching <laughs> up to the rurals. Right. The rurals are like what it happens the same, but it's like in um it's exaggerated. Everything that might be small here is so much bigger right. in a rural district. Right. right. So um, I think that in many ways, uh, obviously, the challenge is economics, obviously funding, teachers is the other. But I think it's, it's different in rurals in that it's so economy-based, right? So you lose a hospital. You lose a factory, you lose the prison, you lose one thing right, like the mines. that. Yeah. Whereas in an urban district, you can make up for it. Something else just kind of fills in that slot. I think that is probably from an advocacy. So when then when you're starting to talk about schools, districts, what is it that we need to do to support rurals? Again, it comes back to it's just different in every single spot. Right? I go to some buildings, I go look at the schools and I'm like, and the resources they have. They have all these things, but yet I see the kids coming in and the kids are really struggling far more because of their life and the, the segronomics or whatever you want to call it. The economics of that community. Segronomics. So I've not heard different. that term. What does that mean? Yeah, meaning segregation due to economics. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. I guess and I could so, have figured that yeah, out. Yeah, we see it. We see it in the <laughs> urban areas a lot. But huh. so you'll see that in one one rural and then another rural. Maybe you're going to see struggling with resources in the school. But when you look at the economics of that town, 
it's just a whole different world, right? And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's policy to me in this state is very difficult to get it right. And I think we just need to start realizing hundred. It, it, it just doesn't make sense to lay something down on top and then say, this is going to work. This is going to work for 178. Why do we not go and just do the hard work of figuring out what works in this area, what works in this area, and give them the leeway to do that, right, to fix it, to, to fit their community? I just I am so community-focused. I just don't understand. So it kind of brings, brings us around, um, especially in light of your expertise, around local accountability and state accountability systems. When you talk about that, we know we have a bill this session that Case is supporting um, around an audit of mm-hmm. our current state accountability system, which really is, uh, and Kirk, you've got a ton of expertise in this area too, right. which really is a one-size-fits-all state accountability, comparing small districts, a Lamar in the southeastern corner of the state with Aurora based on test scores, graduation rates, those sorts of things. What's, what is the hope for that? I can't remember the bill number off the top of my head, but for that legislation that creates an audit of the accountability system. Well, I think best case hope is to get an independent. Right. It is an independent evaluation, which is huge. Objective evaluation to come in and we, what's most important are what, what are the questions we're going to ask? Yeah. And I believe some of them are just laid out in the bill. But just to what degree, I mean, overall, we all want to know, just like the READ Act. Right, right? which we're doing an audit on. We are doing a full evaluation law. on that, right. although some people aren't really thrilled about spending the money on that. I just don't think they realize um, how little information and how well set up any evaluation has been on that. So right. we need to do And the that. READ Act is our state literacy law. Mm-hmm. So for this bill, I think the question is, so what to what extent has it done what it was intended to do, which is going to require them to go back and get back into the original legislation and say, what was the exact intent of this? Was it to inform? Was it to drive? Has it driven improvement to the extent that it should based on the time and the energy? So I think it will be it'll be just it'll be good because, again, I've said this before. We put all these pieces of legislation through this policy, and we have no literal goals or expectations that come out of them. We just say things like, we're going to do this, and you're going to drop graduation rates. Would you like to tell us what you would expect the rates to drop based on what you're offering? So think back to the the READ Act. Based on the amount of supports and resources you're putting in, what does the research really say? our expectations should be for that program. But we we set out the READ Act. We didn't even say, we didn't really set out goals. I think well, it's wasn't it that everybody was going to be reading a grade level by a certain it year? It kind of was initially. So we don't say and realistic backed, goals, Yeah, right? right. There you go. There you go. And so the same thing for the accountability bill. What was the expectations? What is it we expect? Do we expect how much improvement over how much time by which schools, right, mm. and try to develop that kind of metric system, whatever. Um, but I do think it will talk about, and I think we'll, my hope is we'll see not only um, what issues we've had with it, but also what has worked out of it. There right. should be nobody right. afraid to ask these questions of something that has been given so much time and energy from the state board to local districts, right? Right. Nobody should be afraid to ask the question. 
It's how interesting, isn't has it? it been? Right. Yes. This is just yeah. a, a review of an existing policy. Yes. And it does. It seems to be creating a lot of ire and opposition and fear. Yes. Fear-based opposition. Um, I perhaps about the outcome. I don't quite understand it. We have a stakeholder meeting tomorrow afternoon. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. It'll be interesting to hear right. from some. We uh, the alliance obviously supports the legislation as well. What the op- the nature of the opposition right. yeah. is, it, and isn't that the definition of accountability? Like right. To be able to be reflective on did it do what it's supposed to do, and if not, what did, what do we need to be doing about it? That's continuous improvement. Yes. And I think that I would agree that one of the things that we see um, a lot of districts really looking at is what does continuous improvement look like for their communities across the state? And the question does hold to itself is why isn't the state in that same business of asking Correct. itself what does continuous improvement look like? Yeah, right. And how can they in the department – um, continue to move forward and improve and uh, so we can all get better outcomes, right? It's interesting because we have a broad scope of listeners who are in the business community and not in the education community. So mm-hmm. for their benefit uh, and others, the the rural specific complaints that I have always heard are around the small end size or, or districts with small numbers of students, the impact of a low performing one student scoring, mm-hmm. you know, uh, below proficient or whatever the standard is, is so much greater than that same student in a larger district like Aurora. I remember hearing stories and they're not stories. They actually happen. A district's accountability rating would rise or fall dramatically if one family moved in or out with three or four kids. Cause when you only have, you yes. know, 33rd graders, four of them or two of them really have an impact. So that end size question is yeah. huge. Well, I and think. you bring up a good point. There was for a while, and this is something the evaluation should look at. We used to say for smaller districts, we need to use at least three years of data in order to kind of yeah. smooth those yeah. up and downs out. There was a point where the department just decided, nope, we're not going to use three. We're going to use one. Right. And then unless you literally didn't have enough to even get a rating and even some of them now seem to be getting ratings, um, <laughs> we need to go back. That's something the evaluation could go back and revisit and say, was that the best decision? But when you're talking about data and doing uh, making decisions off of data that perhaps is not as consistent as it should be reliable right right. the three-year averaging made total sense especially for small districts so that would be like a good question we're not saying get rid of the accountability system that's this big thing is and these are only going to be recommendations from external right expert right that's a great point there's nothing in in the bill that says the state has to adopt the recommendation no Mm -hmm. it's just more information it's very interesting. I think there is this perception that that school districts or some don't want to be held accountable. And that's where yeah. um, some of this is coming from. And that couldn't be further from the case. Right. I think that's that ship has sailed for so long. I yeah. haven't met a school leader who hasn't right. talked about wanting to be held accountable and right. is, is eager to demonstrate their effectiveness at what they do and their staffs and their schools. It's just the over-reliance on one assessment, and especially yes. with the big opt-out, right? Yeah. Like that's the – Kirk's talked a little bit about the work of the Rural Accountability Pilot, the SCAP group, mm-hmm. um, sort of leading the way, but also looking at um, – and maybe talk a little bit more about that, incorporating local measures mm-hmm. on top of the state system. Yeah. Well, I, at least I think to your point about leaders, leadership looking in the, in the age of accountability that – 
all school leaders are recognizing that that's part of the job. And so I think as we see it, especially in a rural where I think this is actually amplified more because we always make the joke, our accountability is when you go to the grocery store, Yes. when you're at the gas station. So we see our constituents all the time. They're always there. They're asking questions to do that. And so I think one of the things that we see some of our rural districts doing is saying, how can we be more responsive to our communities than less responsive? And so being more responsive is moving towards Towards accountability, not away from it. And so the SCAP is, is an example of a project that really looks at how do we bring in what our local local community wants and needs, and how are we providing feedback to local school boards and constituents around that area. So I think it's a very promising practice mm-hmm. uh, for the state and do that. So to me, it's one of those examples of great opportunities yes. for rural areas. I think getting back to that original question we had for you was around the challenges you see for rural. What do you see as opportunities for rural schools from your from your lens? What I see is probably the, the strength in my mind of rural is the fact that because of the smaller size, you can do innovative and unique practices mm-hmm. on such a, a, a faster, quicker pace. And it goes out through the entire system. Right. Well, you're talking about a Denver. You're talking about Aurora. It's the Titanic. And you're trying to move this ship. It I have yet to see something truly get down to all schools. Rural, you have that opportunity. And you also then have the opportunity to monitor much more closely. Right. The implementation of anything you do and you make course corrections. It's so much easier. Right. So much better to do. I think kids in rural districts have opportunities that you're just not going to find in some of the larger urban districts. If I were a parent wanting personalized learning for my kid, right. I'd be out there. I would not be sitting in a an urban school. Right. Yeah. Right. I think those are to me. That's what I see as some of the best potential uh, for rural and what they're producing. Well, we are so excited that somebody with your depth of experience, not only about K-12 education policy, but also uh, rural schools, realities, challenges, opportunities, is running for the State Board of Education. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about what motivated you to do that. This is a uh, Mm Denver-based audience, so... Speaking to, to your perspective, the the state board you vote for somebody to represent your specific region, and your region is it's Aurora, a congressional Denver. district. Okay, right. So okay. think Diane DeGette's congressional district. Okay. It's all of Denver. Right. It's Inglewood Sher- uh, Inglewood Schools, Sheridan Schools, and about eighteen Jeffco schools. Right. So it's a pretty large. So those um, of you area. in that district, get out there and vote for Lisa Escarpa. <laughs> You're too kind, but you know why. Why I was motivated is because in my role, not only in Case, but in Aurora, I've done a lot of interaction with the state board, a great deal of interaction. You both have as well with the Department of Ed, watching the processes, watching the procedures, particularly for my congressional district, just frustration out of uh, a lack of understanding as far as what the board does what the rules, you know, how things work. Um, I don't sure. I don't know that a lot of people understand that they, as soon as you say Denver, they think Denver school board. And that's not, the state board is right. generally a regulatory body. Okay. They take what the laws come through and then they do the rules for them. But that's where so much of what we do is because of those rules. And I know, so Michelle and I look at Every I've looked at every rule that has been passed in front of them over the many years. And I think it's just a frustration that 
um, a true in-depth understanding of K-12 education. Not that we want things to stay the same, but when you think something should be done and understanding immediately shooting out of how that would work or how that would not work, maybe some better ways of doing this. You can't even have those conversations if you don't have that background, at least one person on the board, right? Everybody on a state board or at a local board, they don't all have the same areas of expertise. So you want to make sure, though, that there's just some overlap differences, maybe someone in finance, someone in depth at K-12. And so I'm running to provide that, as I say, a strong voice, right, one that cannot be bullied, uh, an informed (laughs) voice. And that is just, you know, I've worked with kids ages 3 to 21, special ed, ELL, gifted and talented, general ed, all the programs I have worked through with everything over the last 30 years. So that in-depth uh, understanding. And then really just my big thing, again, is community. I do believe that you can have authentic community engagement and community voice can be brought forward. When you're not out in the community, when you're not a part and you're not participating, you're not having it. Right. Or, as you and I have experienced, we sit in committees, we spend a year we just did this, we spent a year in this committee working, and then we give feedback. That feedback, if you don't disagree, if you don't agree with it, that's fine. Torn apart. But then to criticize us for having <laughs> dared, thrown out that idea, because obviously we don't care about kids. And right. I can't think of anybody who cares more about kids than people that dedicate Our their first lives line to them. Was, we support the concept. It's just, well, obviously they don't support. I mean, yeah. just, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm laughing, but it's yeah. not. Funny. Well, and it's funny. One of the things I thought of after hearing that was one of the things I intend to do, and it's small, but it makes, it makes sense is when they each get to talk about their vote or whatever, first thing I'm going to do is thank the individuals that right. gave feedback, even if I didn't agree with them. So thank you, Rural Alliance, for spending the year that you did with us and giving us that feedback. Right. Thanks, CEA, for giving us your feedback, right? Because you're not going to get people who are going to want to be there or who will tell you the truth on what they really believe if they're only criticized whenever they don't agree with you. Right. I mean, it's, it's things like that. So I'm, I'm excited to run. Yeah, we are certainly excited to have you. Yeah. I I would say, you know, one of the things that we see in the feedback that I get is that not just the educational sector, but any industry, there's a frustration when the people who are controlling the direction of that don't have a clear understanding of what it is. I know in our state, oil and gas is a good example. A a mistrust. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And so I think having somebody who has seen the whole picture will be very helpful to help inform the other members of what's going on and why, why local decisions are made. We are a local control state, meaning that the decisions for school districts are made by the local school board, um, but the regulatory components come down from Denver and the state board and the legislature. And so someone who understands that greater picture, I think, is going to be very helpful for especially rural communities to understand why that that their decision, their decisions were made with them in mind as well, not just yes. a political party or a, a direction. That's correct. So. And you need to be able to explain that very clearly and succinctly so people understand and you've got to do the work you've got to be out there you've got to be connecting you have to have the ability to develop and maintain relationships with everybody 
you don't get to. Ken DeLay, my old boss at the School Board Association, used to talk about civil engagement, mm-hmm. right? Just disagreeing, but being civil and yes. listening and responding. And it doesn't mean, especially in some things around K-12 policy, we don't all ever agree. We, the three of us at this table, don't all ever agree. Sure. But we talk about it, we listen, and we trust, right? Like, it's this fear-based rulemaking that's got me a little bit concerned. Mm-hmm. I think we're making great Great headway. I think the K-12 community and what we always refer to as the advocacy groups have come together around so many places and spaces that we hadn't in the past. And I think that there's real opportunity to continue to grow in that direction as we keep talking to each other, even if our leaders somehow sometimes seem to want us to be divisive and kind of cheerlead for that. Um, Talk to us a little bit about your hopes and dreams for the direction of the state board beyond the engagement Peace. One of the issues that I want to address, and it's it's really definitely a long-term vision, is about the accountability yeah. system. And I want to, as a state, so Massachusetts did it, some smaller pilots, right? And this is why I like the pilot idea of redefining what a quality school is. Hmm. We are seeing, and people do know and understand I think just about everybody agrees that a student is more than a test score. A school, if we're asking the question, what is an effective school? It is more about the stat. It's more than the status right. of what kids walk in with. And when you ask parents, right? I my kids went through Colorado schools. And when you ask a parent when you're looking for a school, what's a quality school for you? It's safety, it's engagement, it's welcoming, right? It's got these kind of programs. It's so much they will describe in generally a sequence. We were just talking about this with the Denver board the other day. There's kind of a sequence they go through. First, they want to be, they want to make sure they're safe. They want them to be happy. They want them to love learning, right? That's the number one thing I wanted from my kids. I knew based on my having where I've started with my kids that um, white privilege, affluence, and where they came from, they were going to be fine in school. I wanted my kids to love learning the rest of their lives. That doesn't get measured by status test scores in a school, right? So we are not saying throw that out. That I don't believe. say that again because we are that's not, the book. I know <laughs> people. Somebody said you're anti accountability. I said what? I did it. That was my title of my job right. for ten years. Right. There is the expectation. There's a, there's been the, people have asked. They still want a core within the accountability system, which we have. It's in all the pilots, right? This core for comparison. Although I know that the parents in Steamboat really don't care what Lamarck is doing, but but if you're in the metro area and you want to move schools or whatever, that there is some core. It is that part and and. Right. And then there are these other indicators that a parent could look at and see. Massachusetts did a nice job. What they did was instead of saying, what data do we have? Let's start from there. They said, you first define what you believe a quality school is. Then what data do we have that measures that? And then what data do we need to get for those variables we don't have measurements for? And may may not be perfect, but they are certainly better than nothing. Don't let um, you know, perfection get in, way in, uh, in the way of good. Right. So that is where I think, as we think about 163 and all of that, what has worked, what hasn't worked, 
Colorado is no longer a leader in this area. Right. There are other states ahead of us, and I would love to move us forward into that area. So that's my best hope. Six to ten years. At that, six years, it should be. Well, and folks need to remember that the federal law, the federal accountability law, requires that every student in the state takes the same assessment, and that that is a significant part. That's not the legal language of our state's accountability system. So we're never moving away from that. what Lisa was talking about to develop assessments, measurements, what is important, and then how do we measure it? Because some of it, school safety is hard to measure beyond yes. discipline data. Um, are they happy at school? Is it a welcoming environment? Those things are hard to measure. People worry that by measuring them, you take out the, you, you, they just don't lend themselves to that. So that's, our state has already said, yeah, let's try and figure some of that stuff out. Let's look at that creating those different Mm -hmm. tools and then have some conversations about it. So, yeah, we hope that we continue to move in that direction without sort of that fear or misunderstandings getting in the way. um, And that conversation would need all of the reform groups. Everybody needs to be at the table for that so we can all come up on to speed on what's been happening across the nation. Where are we seeing things that seem to be working? Um, all driving school improvement. Right. right? That was the exciting part of last session is that all of the reform groups, the other advocacy groups came to the table and supported that legislation ultimately, which is what gives me great hope Mm -hmm. um, kind of going forward about other pieces of moving that forward. Absolutely. What else do we need to know? Thank you so much for coming. It's a big race. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. Just because of the congressional district and everything And the primary is when? June 30th. Okay. So okay. we'll see Wake caucus and then you go into eventually you have state uh, or the congressional district assembly, at which point, which would be April 16th. Oh, okay. we'll know who is actually on the ballot for the primary. Okay. And then once the primary is over in generally in Denver, um, it's pretty much unless you have a Republican running, it's pretty much over. If, if There is no Republican running at this point. OK, so whoever gets the, on the ballot for the uh, primary will eventually win unless we get somebody else in the race. Okay. So most of the work is right up front. Wonderful. Well, we wish you luck. Um, I just wanted on a a personal note to, I'm very excited to hear about the next step and we're sad that you're stepping Mm -hmm. away from case, but uh, we know that, that this next journey will be wonderful. I want to tell our listeners that I've appreciated my friendship with Lisa over the years. And she's not only an incredible educator, but an incredible person. This is someone who, when I was going through a medical issue in my life would actually in the middle of a legislative session, show up to the hospital to say hello. So once again, I wanted people to know what a wonderful human being she is, not just an incredible educator. So thank you. Agreed. Thanks for being here on your day off. We really appreciate that. No problem. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to Redefining Rural, a CSU global sponsored podcast dedicated to celebrating, bringing awareness to, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Facebook and Twitter.